Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. We're talking with Tom Glavin here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. Let's transition now. Um, coaching your kids. And yeah, I'd like to, because that's one of the things we do discuss here on Flex Coach. Uh, how tough was it for you to coach your kids in hockey and baseball? Um, it's hard in the sense that you're always harder on your own kids than you are anybody else, right? If, if, if kids are messing up in practice, it's usually your kid that's going to get yelled at, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, fortunately, fortunately, my kids knew that, you know, I would have that discussion with them that like, listen, there are going to be times where I yell at you and you didn't do anything wrong. It just know it's because I can yell at you and I can't necessarily yell at somebody else. Um, so just understand that. And they were okay with it. I'm not saying they liked it, um, but they understood it. Um, it was never to the point where it interfered with our relationship or anything like that. But, you know, I think for me early on, I got into coaching hockey um, just because it was in my off season with baseball. Um, being in Atlanta, you know, there's always the concern about, all right, who's, who's coaching the kids and how much do they really know about hockey? Yes. That's uh, a big thing. <laughs> so fortunately, fortunately, the groups, uh, the age groups that my kids played, they were, they had good coaches. They had guys that, you know, played college hockey or did some of that stuff. So, so they were in good hands, but you know, you always want your kid to learn from you if you can. Um, so it was, you know, like I said, hockey just worked out because it was the off season uh, the guys that were coaching were friends of mine. So they were, you know, always uh, great about, Hey, come on the ice, help out, whatever. Um, but I, I just, you know, it was like, I, I viewed it more as an opportunity to spend more time with them. Right. You're going to take them to the rink anyway. So I might as well be on the ice with them. Don't sit in the stands, get out of the <laughs> <Right>? ice. <laughs> exactly. If you, if you have the ability, ability right to do now, it. Yeah. There are some parents that quite honestly should not be on the ice, but oh. um if you have the ability to do it, then you're, you're going to be there. Why not be on the ice with them? Right. And, and even if you have a 30 second conversation during a, a drill or whatever, where you can go to your kid and say, Hey, are you doing it? Okay. Well, that's time well spent. you got 30 seconds that you wouldn't have had. Um, you know, they roll your, they, they roll your eyes at you when you would give advice. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, not, not so much when they were little, maybe a little bit more when they got older, but um, but you know, I just like, I liked the opportunity to spend time with them and, and I liked, um, the road trips that we would have to take. And again, that added time and, and look, I, I really resisted, um, getting involved with my boys in baseball. And, you know, as it turned out, my, my son Mason stopped playing, um, when he was 13, I think my son Peyton uh, kept playing and he eventually got into travel baseball as much as we try to avoid it. It's inevitable. Um, you know, he got into that and, and, and I got into coaching at that stage of the game, honestly, more than anything else, because I felt like as a coach, I was going to have some control over the schedule. And the last thing I wanted to do was having 13, 14 year old kids playing a hundred games in a summer. I just, I didn't want that. So um, so that's why I did it. I had, I was able to push back a little bit and say, no, we don't need to be playing that many games and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, and then once I got into it, then I was in, you know, I, I actually enjoyed it. Um, playing on some of those travel teams that my son played on the kids are good players and, and they're coachable and they listen and they were good kids. Um, so I actually enjoyed doing it. Um, and it was actually, it was, it was a lot of fun. Dealing with the parents. Yeah. You're a hall of famer. You know, you're, you're, uh, you know, everyone knows who you are, 
were they expecting miracles from you? Like touch my kid and he's going to be right. a star kind of a thing or no, did you kind no. of like keep him at a distance? We, we had Mike Sullivan. We had Mike Sullivan on from the Penguins, and during one of the lockout years, he coached his brothers, his younger brothers' team, and everyone right. was like, "Oh, you're in the NHL. You should be able to take all these kids and get them college scholarships." Right. And yeah, <laughs> no, and, and that's the thing, right? Um, I think in baseball, uh, you know, I had a little bit more of it um, because obviously I had the credibility in baseball, right? And 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 I don't think the parents expected me to work miracles or anything like that, but it was. You know, a lot of the conversations were, okay, what can my son improve upon? What can he work on? What can he do? Uh, and I would have those conversations and say, hey, listen, here's what he needs to do. And here's how we can go about doing it. Um, and things like that. Um, hockey was a little bit different. Um, yeah, I was a, a good baseball player. I don't know how many people knew my hockey, my hockey background. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because I think in hockey, especially in the Southeast, um, you I think the bigger thing for me was, was trying to keep people realistic. Um, because I, I, you know, down here, I don't, and, and it's probably everywhere, but I don't, I don't think people had the understanding of how difficult it is to play division one college hockey. It's um, impossible today. We had yeah, Jimmy Madigan for Northeastern on, and he said, yeah. by the time you're 14, you've got to make a commitment, a verbal yeah. commitment to a school now. It's like, right. and, and I said, I say to parents all the time, your child just doesn't have the skills at 14 they're looking for. Even well, if he's a late bloomer now, he's not going to get picked up. Right. And, and it's, you know, along those lines, you know, oh, I want my kid to play at the next level, whether it's hockey or baseball. And, 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 and I know what parents mean. And, and I would inevitably say, okay, well, what if the next level is only high school? Are you okay with that? You know, cause there's a really big possibility. That's it. You know, and, and to be, to be frank, playing high school sports is a big deal. You know, there, there's a it lot is. of good, there's a lot of good players, you know, now you multiply that and go to division one hockey and, and really do the math or division one baseball and do the math as to how many kids are playing and how few spots there are. The odds are against you. I'm going to bet against your kid every single time, you know, not because I don't like him, but I'm just going to play the odds and I'm going to win way more than I lose, you know, and, 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 and it used to be that, you know, with hockey down here, we had to travel. And that was part of the deal. And inevitably, Expensive. yeah. And inevitably every year, you know, we look, we had some good little players down here in the Southeast and they were good down here. Uh, but inevitably you'd go to a tournament purposefully to Boston or Chicago and you play against some of those teams. And then it was like, oh my God, those kids yeah. are good. It's like, yeah, they are. And that's what you're up against. So, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, you know, go to go to the go to the Pee Wee tournament in Quebec, and you'll get yeah. a real good understanding of exactly. It's which, not going to be easy, no. guys. And, and and I did that with both of my boys, and it was the greatest. You know, it's funny. I, I grew up in Boston, and I never heard of Pee Wee Quebec. I come to Atlanta, and I went there twice with my boys. And it's, the, <laughs> it's the greatest. It's the greatest. So, oh, it's an amazing tournament I've ever had. Unbelievable. But you're right. You look at you know our kids played in the. I don't even know what we were, the intermediate B division. And you see those kids that are playing in the, in the double A and triple A division. Oh my God, there's some good hockey players at 10, 12 years old. And, and, you know, again, I think that's what people just don't understand is the level of competition that's out there. Um, so that's, I tried to be grounded about that, but at the same time, not be, you know, crushing people's hopes and dreams or whatever. But I mean, I was never one of those parents that, you know, had those rose colored glasses, so to speak. I, I, you know, probably to a fault. Um, I spent more time criticizing my kids, telling them what they weren't good at to make them work harder. Yeah. 
What should a parent look for in a sports program, a youth sports program for their kid? Um, well, I would say number one, the focus needs to be on fun. Um, I think we've lost a lot of that. Um, I would always be leery of, of any organization that's looking more to play a maximum amount of games than anything else. Um, if I'm my kids getting ready to play and, and let's face it, this goes on crazily. Now, uh, the recruiting that goes on, on in, in youth sports to come play for my team versus that team and where this and where that, if you ever have a, a group of people telling you at 10 and 11 years old or 12 years old to come play for our team, cause you're going to get more exposure. You need to run. You need to run fast because I can promise you nobody, nobody at 10 or 11 years old cares about your kid. Probably not even the parent standing next to you whose kid is on your team. It's just not, it's not real. They just know? want the money. They want the money. And, and if you think college scouts are coming to watch your kid when he's 10 years old, then you're in for the wrong reason. Now, again, you start getting to 14 years old, you know, it's a different story. Um, but again, I think the focus has to be on fun. Um, there's too much focus on how many games we're playing. I, I don't think people understand the importance of practice. They really don't. And, and you see it uh, with every youth sport. As the season drags on and the kids get tired, they get worse, you know? And, and that's a direct result of playing too many games. And I think there should be more, more of an emphasis on, on, on an even slate of practices and games. That's where I'm headed next. Let's say you have a team and some of the kids are very developed. Some of the other kids have to kind of bring themselves up to the level. How do you make sure you balance that out well? You know, you've coached. You, you Man, know, you've been a youth yeah. coach. It's, it's, it's a tough thing. I mean, I've gone through it. Everyone who's ever coached their kids or coached the team. You, know, you have that one or two kids, excuse me, who are really good. And then you have a whole group of kids in the middle and you have a bunch of, you know, not laggards, but kids who just haven't developed yet. I mean, right. how do you try to keep that together so you don't lose them all? It's hard, right? Because on the one hand, the kids that are really good players, um, you don't want them getting lazy because they, they recognize they're better than everybody else and they don't have to work hard to be better than everybody else. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have the kids that are, you know, not as good or maybe not physically developed. So they're not as strong. And they're, they're getting discouraged because in their mind, they can't keep up. It's tough. And, you know, I, I think you have to be able to create uh, an environment where, yes, you have those dynamics. You have the kids at the top end of the spectrum and the kids at the bottom end of the spectrum, and they're competing against one another. Um, if for nothing else, to try to pull those kids that are at the lower end up. See, this is this is what you're striving to get to. You need to keep working hard. You need to, you know, keep doing everything you need to be doing to get to this level. And then conversely, you have to find times where uh, those kids that are on the upper end of the spectrum are competing against each other more often in practice, whether it's, you know, one-on-one -on -one battles in hockey or, um, you know, different drills in baseball where they're paired up together because they need that same drive. They need somebody to push them too. And it's not easy. Um, you know, particularly uh, in environments today where our kids are increasingly um, instant satisfaction, uh, that's the worst thing you can do is have, you know, kids standing around and practice for, you know, five minutes between reps or, or doing drills, like I say, that they know that they're physically going to be better than everybody else so they don't have to try that hard. It, it, it's tough. It's a tough dynamic. Um, you know, I, I think that as the kids get older, it's a little bit easier because you tend to start playing against you know, kids that are 
same physiques, same skill levels, things of that nature. Um, when they're younger, it's a little bit more of a challenge, but yeah, you got to find that, you got to try to find that balance where regardless of the talent different differential on your team, everybody's got to be challenged in some way. Let's transition to your son, Peyton, who just graduated from Auburn. Um, when did you start to see things with him that college might be the best route for him? Did you and your wife sit down and say, Oh, you know, he's, he's doing really well. Or, you know, what, what about it? Did, was it, what was the reason why Auburn was the right fit for him? Um, well, it, it's funny, you know, we talked earlier about um, coaching and our kids rolling our eyes at us and they don't want to listen to us. I saw early on with Peyton and by early on, I said like 13 or 14 and I would see when I would play catch with him, he would throw a ball and it, and it was different than anybody else that I would play catch with. And now granted he's left-handed. So lefties are always a little bit different, but he would throw the ball and it would have this movement in this spin. And I'm like, dude, you need to get on the mound. And he's <laughs> like, dad, I don't want to pitch. I want to play the outfield. It's like, okay. And it was hard because he is not a good birth month for baseball. He's a March birthday. Mm -hmm. So he's almost a calendar year behind everybody at every level that he plays with. So he was the, always the kid that you'd see him out in the outfield and everybody's like, Oh, that's because that's somebody's younger brother. No, yeah. you know, I mean, that, that was him. <laughs> so physically he had a hard time keeping up and it wasn't until, you know, he kind of got to high school where he started to grow and fill out and do all that stuff. So he was a late bloomer. Um, so it was funny. Um, he got to high school and played freshman baseball, uh, JV baseball, and then was trying out for the high school team his junior year and had, from what he was telling me, he was having a really good tryout, hitting the ball really good, the whole nine yards. And, and even his friends that were coming over to the house, yeah, Peyton's having a great tryout. He's, you know, he's been the best hitter in camp so far, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, great. So he comes home. Uh, the day the team's announced and he comes in the door and I, and I jokingly said to him, well, did you make the team? And he kind of had this dejected look on his face and he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, what's wrong? He says, well, I made the team as a pitcher if I want to pitch. And I was like, really? <laughs> right. I was like, really? And I said, well, how did that all come about? And he said, well, I was in right field and there was a runner on second. And they hit me a fly ball and I went and I caught it and the runner tagged and I went to throw the guy out at third. And he said, I overshot the cutoff man. I overshot the third baseman and the ball like sailed over the fence, over the dugout, the whole nine yards. And the coach looked at me and was essentially, Oh my God, we need to get you on the mound. And I said, I told you, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been telling you that. for three years here. I've been trying to tell you that. Right. So it was by default that he actually ended up on the mound. Um, and he did well, he had, you know, he had a good junior year. He had a phenomenal senior year, but same thing that, you know, I, I, I fought for him. Um, he's a late bloomer, you know, in high school, he's still under six feet tall, 160 pounds soaking wet, uh, throws 84, 85 miles an hour, but he can spot it up and he can pitch, but guess what? You don't throw 90. So nobody's recruiting you. Um, so he ended up that summer playing summer ball, had a good summer and, you know, Butch Thompson at Auburn came to see him a couple of times and, and, and really liked him, but he knew Peyton was a little short on talent, but he saw something in Peyton that he liked. 
Um, so we went down to Auburn and, and, you know, for some reason that was just where Peyton wanted to go. Uh, we, we went down there for a baseball tournament. Uh, he loved the campus. He loved the field. He just wanted to be there. Um, and then he loved Butch and, you know, as a parent, I love Butch too. I mean, just a good, good person, uh, really loves his kids, cares about his program. And, and so it was a good fit. Um, but you know, he, he got drafted late in high school and, and we knew that it probably, you know, wasn't the right Avenue for him. He was still too small. Um, he needed to grow. He needed to grow into his body, all those things. And so, you know, he went to college, right? And look, it was a grind. His first two years, he didn't see the field much. Um, junior year started to pitch. Um, and then he's, you know, he got hurt. He had, had oblique issues. Um, and then COVID year, he was hurt the weekend he came back, COVID hit and shut every, everything shut down. Shut down yeah. Yeah. Um, and then last year, senior year, he had a good year. Um, you know, pitched well, um, again, couple injuries here and there that he fought, but look, you know, it's that kind of thing again, that you're always fighting for him. You're always whatever. Um, you know, like, it, like I've said, look, I've, I've tried to help him as much as I possibly can, but you know, I, I know even I have limitations and with all the technology that's in the game today, you know, he's, he's off at a pitching academy down in Florida now uh, for a four week boot camp essentially. Um, and, and they're helping him refine his mechanics. And, you know, it, like I said, it's things to me that the naked eye, I can say to him, Hey, Peyton, there's something about this. I don't like, and, and I can't really put my finger on what it is that I don't like, but I don't like it. Um, but it's hard to fix it during the, the middle of a college season. And so he's down at this baseball armory down in Lakeland, Florida, and, you know, excited as heck because right away, you know, they get down there, they hook him up with all these electrodes and they monitor his <laughs> movements and they, this and they, that, and they can say to him, which, like I said, I could see it. I just couldn't verbalize it. His bottom half wasn't working in unison with his upper half. So he was losing all of his power from his legs and this and that. So they hook him up on the electrodes, they show him, they break it down for him. And he's a good athlete, so he can see it now and he can feel it. Throw a bullpen the other day and he was throwing almost 92 miles an hour. So, and, and just from having that feedback of here's what you need to try and work on and what you kind of need to become a little bit more efficient at. So my point in all that is, you know, it, it's, it's a constant, it's a constant grind, right? You're always always trying to get better, always looking to get better. You're always, you know, for me, always trying to push, push my kids because I know what they want. And I know, like we all know, nothing good comes easy. So if you want it, no. you, you, you're going to have to work your butt off to go get it. And if you're willing to do these things, I'm all for it. I'll help you. I'll do everything I can. Um, but, you know, funny thing, I'll tie it all back to Auburn. You know, again, you talk about kids not listening. So when, when Peyton decides that he's going to go to Auburn and he, and he does his commitment with Butch, his first phone call in the car on the way home was to his high school coach and to tell his high school coach that he, you know, committed to Auburn. He's going to go to Auburn to pitch. And he wanted to thank his high school coach for seeing something in him as a pitcher. And I turned around and I was like, dude, are you kidding me? I've been telling you this for three years, right? And now you're telling your high school coach, thanks for seeing something. So, you know, it is, it is what he, it is, right? He, and I remember there are times, go ahead. Did he, did he come to you over the course of time though and say, hey dad, how'd you handle this situation? How'd you handle oh, that? All the time. Or was he, yeah. And, and 
all the time. And that's, that's what I love about the relationship that we have. Right. And, and, you know, my wife sometimes is like, Oh, you know, I don't have that. I'm like, I know. Honey, but <laughs> he calls you and talks to you about real life problems. Right. He talks about girls or he talks about this, or he talks about that with me. It's all baseball, uh, which I love, which is great. And it was funny. I had a, you know, a scout tell me uh, before he got drafted in high school, you know, when they talk about the kids and the this and the that. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that a lot of the scouts talked about is, you know, when you have these kids, it's, you know, part of the, the evaluation process is A, the kid themselves and the talent, obviously, but B, what do they have going on at home? And one of Peyton's strengths would be that we know if he's struggling and he calls home, we know the conversations he's having and we know who he's having those conversations with. So that's, that's a plus, right? And it's been, it's been good. Um, you know, look, there are times where no matter what, no matter what you're doing, I mean, I'm, I'm part coach, part psychologist. I mean, I have to talk them off the ledge sometimes, you know, like, oh, you had a bad outing, the world's coming to an end. And I'm like, Peyton, no, look at dude. All right, let's break it down. You know, look at this hitter. You, if you execute this pitch, whatever, if this ground ball goes to whatever. So in, in reality, you're a whole lot closer to doing what you wanted to do than you thought you were. Um, you know, so, I mean, we have all those conversations and it's, and it's a ton of fun. Um, but it is, it's different for me too, because, you know, with all the technology in the game today with spin rates and this and that, oh. um, <laughs> they're having different, they're having different conversations than I was having. So it, yeah. it's hard to tie it all together sometimes. All right. I got some fun facts and we'll wrap this up with you. It's been great. Um, why'd you choose? Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine as your intro song when you pitched. I just liked it. You know, I mean, you're, you're always, you're always looking for something that's um, upbeat, right? Um, and and kind of get your, get your blood going a little bit. So I always liked that song. So I thought, you know, that'd, that'd be, that'd be a good one to walk out to the mountain. Did you ever meet Axl Rose? Never did. No. No? Never to no. say thanks for the no. song or whatever? <laughs> no. <laughs> Three dinner guests. I did this on you. JFK, George Washington, and Jesus. What would you want to ask each of them at dinner? Um, you know, I guess with Jesus, it would be, you know, am I on the right path? Um, George Washington, um, what, what was it like? You know, how, how, how close did you come to quitting, so to speak? You know, how close were you to, the, to your wit's end? Um, JFK, uh, I'd want to know what his suspicions are about what really happened and what, how, you know, what went down, some of the conspiracy theories, see if he had any insight on any of that. <laughs> um, what's one piece of advice you were given in life? Who gave it to you? And do you still use it today? Um, I, there's a couple. Um, first, you know, the, there's, there's two things that um, my dad told me that always rung with me. One to this day, he will deny. Um, I remember one time in high school, um, I think I was being a little bit of a snotty 18 year old at the time and, and he didn't like it. Um, and I remember him telling me essentially, I don't care how good you think you are. There are a hundred kids in Georgia and Florida that are better than you. And that was his way of a grounding me and B making me realize I need, I need to work hard because this ain't going to come easy. Uh, and he was right. There were, I play with a whole lot of guys that were better than me uh, that didn't have the career that I had because they didn't work hard. And that, that was a fact. Um, second thing I remember him telling me when I walked out the door to go play pro ball was, listen, 
you're going to have a lot of people telling you what to do. And it doesn't hurt or cost you anything to listen to everybody. you got to figure out what works for you. And that was so true. Uh, and, and it was true. I had, I had a lot of people telling me what to do. And, and a lot of them were good intentions. Um, but not everything works for you. And it's up to you to understand who you are and what A, makes you click and B, what works for you, what you're capable of doing, what you're not capable of doing. And, and, and on a side note, that's probably something I see more in today's game with pitchers that drives me crazy more than anything else, because I see guys trying to pitch to analytics and the analytics don't match up with what they do well and, and they don't have success. And it's like, I just want to grab them and say, listen, dude, you are Tom Glavin incorporated and this is your business. You need to take control of it. Um, and my dad told me that and, and it served me really well. And then the last one was, I remember, you know, that stoic nature that I had on the mound. That was from one of my minor league pitching coaches, Mudcat Grant. Uh, I remember him telling me, listen, when you go out on that mound, you act like you got it. Act like you're under control. If you throw a bad pitch, so what? You give up a home run, so what? He said, everybody in that other dugout wants to kick your ass. And the more reasons you give them to think that they got you, then they're going to kick your ass. So go out there and act like you know what you're doing and you got things under control. And that, I don't know why it stuck with me. <laughs> what does failure in life teach you? Everything. Um, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't learn from success. Of course you do. We need, we need positive feedback uh, to reassure ourselves. But, um, you know, that, that saying is true. Necessity is the mother of invention, 100%. Um, when I lost 17 games in the big leagues, my first year, it was a blessing for me. Um, I've said it and I believe it wholeheartedly. I learned more about myself that year than I would have learned another year at AAA having a good year. You know, I, le I learned how to deal with failure. I learned how to, not that it's, I'm not glorifying losing, but I learned how to lose. I mean, let's face it. You, you have to learn how to have failure because you're going to have it. I don't care. You know, it, it's, it's more prevalent in baseball than, than any other sport, right? You, you fail 70% 70, 70 of the time as a hitter, you're a hall of famer. So failures is inherent in the game. And, and as a pitcher, it's hard too, because you can go out there and do everything right and still lose. Now, does that mean I had a bad game? No, it doesn't, but the results say that I do. So I, I think too often we get caught up in results and, and particularly with winning. Um, failure is important because you learn from it. You learn that you're human. You learn the things that you need to do better. You learn the things you're quite frankly not good at. Um, but I think more than anything else, it just, it teaches you how to bounce back, how to rebound, how to pick yourself up. Um, every, you know, I mean, successful people in life know it's easy to feel great about yourself when things are going good, when they're not going so good. All right. Now what, you know, what are you going to, what, what are you going to do to pick yourself up and get yourself back on track? And, and listen, I, I loved winning a whole lot more than losing. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to tell you I learned more from winning than I did from losing. I don't, I don't think that's true at all. You sound like Nuka Lush. You know, I love to win more than I like to lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for your time, your insights. This was amazing. Really got into the pitching thing, which I wanted to do. I, I wish you all the best. and I wish Peyton all the best moving forward. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
That was Tom Glavin of the Atlanta Braves here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR.